if you would turn to Zechariah, we are in Zechariah chapter 14. Uh, this is the penultimate, I guess I should say, the week before the last week. We'll finish up Zechariah next time. Uh, so we start the last chapter. We're going to be in chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the house plundered, and the women raped. Half the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but in evening times there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft as it sits from the gate of Benjamin, to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Henel to the king's winepress. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Peace is something that we all long for. Why is this? We often live in times where there is no peace. There is no peace in the world around us, and there oftentimes is not peace in, even in our own families. The lack of peace is strife. Whoever says, I long for more strife in my life. We want more strife, right? We don't long for hard times. We don't long for times where there'll be suffering. We long for those moments of peace and quiet. Those, that moment right after all the kids go to bed. 
moment of peace where doubts and naggings go away, where families are not yelling, where bosses are not demanding. We want peace. And as we look at scripture, we see that peace is at the heart of salvation. Paul says it this way in Philippians. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the end of strife. It's the end of danger. It's the coming of security and blessing. And this was meant to come out, to flow out of the city of peace. Jerusalem, which name literally means city of shalom, peace. And this is where our exile community lives. They've come out of exile and they're literally living in the city of peace. And yet peace is far from them. They are still very vulnerable. The prospect of being conquered, of being dominated is quite real. And so we come to our text today and we consider this city and this people. And so we'll see three things. We're going to see the king who destroys. Second, we'll see the king who saves. And third and finally, we'll see the king of peace. We'll begin by looking at the king who destroys. And I want to begin by giving you a quote from the reformer Martin Luther Now, I think I made a mistake. I think technically today is supposed to be Reformation Sunday, but I thought we had one more Sunday. And so we're going to do it next Sunday, which falls on the first, which is the day after uh, Reformation Sunday. So it's still going to be close. But Martin Luther wrote a, a commentary on Zechariah. And I want you to hear the encouraging words when he comes to this text and he, he gives these encouraging words here in this chapter, I give up. For I am not sure what the prophet is talking about. That's meant to be funny, right? <laughs> Zechariah comes to chapter 14, or excuse me, Luther comes to Zechariah 14 and goes, I don't know. I give up. <laughs> it should be encouraging going forward. What we see here from the very beginning is there's this great battle that's coming against Jerusalem. And who's bringing the battle? God. God, as we see in verse 2, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. God is preparing the nations to battle his city. He will plunder her with great violence. There will be no How are we to understand this? What are we to make of this? As we've been going through Zechariah from week to week, we've seen these great and encouraging passages about how Jesus is coming to restore and redeem his people. 
But we begin here as we're coming to the very end of Zechariah and God says, I'm going to bring the nations to crush you. What's going on? It's something that there's been much debate over. And we have to remember, we're talking about prophecy here. But how are we to understand this prophecy? And as I read through commentaries, we see that there's three dominant views. The first view says, well, this is just a figurative description of the church age. It's not an event that's going to literally take place at a specific point in time, but it's something that's going to happen in general. The language here they say is used generally of prophetic literature, speaking of God's judgment. Uh, as we talk about this, and you can just swirl these words in the back of your head, I'm not going to overly define them for you today. But this is most associated with post-millennial eschatology. Uh, in essence, it says Israel and Jerusalem in the Old Testament are equivalent to Christians and the church in the New Testament. All that was in Jerusalem is now found in the church. And they, they will argue through Zechariah. We've seen different prophecies being fulfilled in the church. And so there's not a literal destruction coming against the people. The second view kind of disagrees with this and says, why would we take these prophetic views so vaguely? Over and over again, they say in Zechariah, we've seen specific prophecy. Remember, we've talked about Alexander the Great and how that was specific. We talked about Jesus riding on a donkey and how that was specific. We talked last week about the scattering of the sheep and how that was specific to a time. This is mostly associated with premillennium eschatology. They say there is a physical attack that will come physically against Jerusalem, that it's still to come. Uh, this is why in some circles there's an overemphasis on the nation of Israel. They expect something to come against Israel still today. The third view strikes a balance between the two, mostly associated with the all-millennium all eschatology. There's a balance between the, the two views. The great, there's a great event, and the next great event that is coming is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's describing the events that lead up to a second coming. TV Moore, the commentary, says this. It seems to point to the last great struggle of the powers of evil with the church, which is to be ended by the coming of Christ in great power. And complete establishment of his kingdom of glory. And we see this in our text. That God is coming to establish his kingdom of glory. And this comes as a progression. First he will rise against the people. God will cause this to happen. The nations will come and rise against his people. But then the Lord will fight and defend his people. And the result is the eternal reign of God. He is bringing hardships to sift and refine his people. And so he raises up the nations, the peoples of this world, to sift and refine. And we can see how this happens throughout history. We think, and we looked at this some last week, AD 70, when Rome came in, literally killing two-thirds of all Jewish people living in Israel. 
This persecution spread them out. It facilitated the spread of the gospel. We can see it in other places. Even in the time as we're looking at the Protestant Reformation, as there was a great time of the church moving away from the gospel. And men like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Melanchthon and these other uh, men of the Reformation stood up and said, no, we believe the Bible. And the result was persecution. God comes and tests and purifies his people. Even from Zechariah, he calls to us today. Are you ready for the nations to come against you? Are you ready for the nations to come against you? And I want to note here how the nations come against you. The the language here is not kind. The language here is not gentle. He says, when they come. The city shall be taken, the houses plundered, and the women raped. This is not gentle. In fact, this is the way when a conquering army came to a city, they treated the inhabitants of the city. It was violent, it was not pretty. And he says, as I refine my people, as I prepare them, this is what will come against them. Are you willing to stand? We live currently in a time where if we have to stand for our faith, it's not usually life-threatening. At least here where we're at in our context. There are Christians all over the earth where that's not true. Where literally as Christians in China meet today, or whatever their Sunday is, they are taking their life into their own hands. Or putting their life, I should say, into God's hands. Saying that if we are discovered, it will cost us everything. There are Christians in the Middle East who are being slaughtered every day for their faith. It is a real sort of suffering. And make no mistake, God is the source. He says, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. He is the one who gathers. And yet, it is not for their destruction, but their good. Are you ready? Are you ready to endure suffering for your faith?
This may take many forms. It may cause tension at home. It may cause tension at work. It may get to the point where it requires you to give your own life. To step out and declare your allegiance marks you. Have you allowed yourself to be marked? Not just when it's safe, but when it's hard. Proclaiming his truth, spreading his gospel, not in arrogance and pride, but in a loving, caring manner. He will come. And he will bring destruction against his city. But then he goes on. But the rest of the people, the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. Yes, the king brings destruction, but the king also is the one who saves. He gathers the nations, and then what does he do to those nations? He battles them for us. God has repeatedly in Scripture shown us examples of where he comes and defends his people. We think of Joshua and Jericho. Who won the battle of Jericho? It was not Joshua. It was not Israel. Or Gideon fighting Midian. Or if we look at Isaiah, we see the Sennacherib Rebellion, where literally 185,000 men were killed overnight in their sleep. Maybe the greatest example in scripture is the Red Sea. Who fought that battle? Who parted the waters? Who caused the waters to come back on the armies of Egypt? God saves and defends and fights for his people. It says in our text that he's going to provide a way of escape to the east. And I want you to notice here, we've talked about how staggering and how violent the, the suffering is. But look how dramatic and wonderful his rescuing is. He says, from the Mount of Olives, east of the Mount of Olives, basically the earth will be split in two and form a valley. Half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. This is not figurative language. He's saying literally the mountain will be split and I will deliver my people. It is a dramatic description of the way he saves his people. Those who hold fast will find a deliverance that they cannot even imagine. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says it this way. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He provides a way of escape for his people. And Jesus is coming as a certainty 
He will come, as Zechariah tells us in 14.5, and all his holy ones with him. The Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. He is coming. This is the same thing that was told to the disciples as they see Jesus going up and he's ascending to heaven. And what do they do? They're just left there looking. They don't know what to do. And then a messenger comes and says this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will come. He will come again. And we must know this, that still today, Jesus is saving you. He is providing for you a way of escape immediately. We see this in the cross, don't we? That in the cross, he has provided an escape from death and the devil, from sin. And this is a wonderful and it's a beautiful thing. Yes, you may suffer. Yes, you may be rejected by this world, but he has provided a means of escape for you. This is no less true in the daily trials and troubles of our lives. Even as sin assails us, he provides us escapes. For those who would look to him in faith and follow him. Does this mean that no suffering will come on you? No, that doesn't mean that. Does this mean that you will not be called and give your life? No, it does not mean that. But it means that we look to him and we rest in him, knowing that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he is the king who has brought peace to us. There are many who would claim the name of Jesus today who would have you believe that Jesus does not want you to suffer. That Jesus does not want bad things to happen to you. That Jesus just wants for you to be happy. And if you're not happy, then it's probably that you don't have enough faith. This is not the gospel. This is a lie. Jesus actually says, I have provided a way of escape for you. If you come and rest and trust in me, and even as you rest and trust in me, the world is going to come and assail you. But you are to hold firm, for I have ultimately delivered you from destruction. And I bring peace. Jesus is coming And his bringing of peace transforms the natural order. Again, we see some startling language here. The whole land, this is verse 10. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site. Literally, it says this. There's some normal ebb and flow to the land. There's some up and down. There's some topography. And when he comes in his saving manner, the topography is removed. Everything except Jerusalem will be flat. Now, I remember going home after Katrina. It was about a week after it hit, and I remember going around town. And I remember looking at places where I would have said, it just looks like someone came in 
put their hand down and went and just threw it all off. It was flattened. And that is a, we can look at Katrina and even the storm out there, we can say, that is a mighty and powerful thing. And that is nothing compared with the one who goes, okay, here's a mountain, Jerusalem, my temple, everything else flat. You see the startling what's going on here? It doesn't matter if they're hills. It doesn't matter if they're valleys. Everything will be flat. And the only thing that will be left high is the city of peace. And what has resulted in this happening, no matter, have you ever been in a place where there's just a high mountain or a tall building? What are your eyes drawn to? If everything else is flat and there is a tall structure, your eyes go to that structure. Every eye will be turned to this city of peace. It will remain the true city of God. God is working through his people. Verse 11, and it shall be inhabited for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. It's there that God's people will serve him, that they will labor. God is working through his people. He is working through you. And so we are to respond. In acts of faith, in acts of obedience. He says, out of this place will flow a river. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. He's saying there's a river of life that will flow out from the city of peace. This is a symbol of great salvation, the life-giving waters, even as waters flowed from Jesus' side. This is a beautiful image of the Holy Spirit working out saving grace as it flows out from the city, fulfilling all that the prophets spoke of. And at the center of it all is the king on his throne. His foes put beneath him. His elect delivered into his kingdom. And on that day we will cast our eyes upon him. I love Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series. In the return of the king, there's this moment where Aragorn, the rightful king, takes his throne and this is what it says all that beheld him gazed in silence for it seemed to them that he was revealed to them now for the first time tall he stood above all that were near ancient of days he seemed and yet in the flower of manhood and wisdom sat upon his brow and strength and healing were in his hands and light was about him Then up went the cry, behold the king. We will see Jesus as he was meant to reign. And we will say, behold the king. We will see the blessed and glorious rule of our king. There will never again be a a, a decree for utter destruction. All the people will dwell in complete security. Revelation, this... Enigma of a book ends by saying this in Revelation 22. 
Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kind of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will no longer, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Christ is bringing forth his reign of peace. This is how the battle ends. With his glorious, eternal reign of peace. And we are invited into that peace. And we are called to invite others into that peace. This is what awaits for you. Both those, all those who are in Christ, both living and dead. You get to come and wash in his life-giving stream to share in eternal life. He will bring, bring peace to your hearts. And we are to remember that even now, even this day, even this moment, he reigns. Is Jesus, is Jesus crowned as the Lord of your life? Has he cleansed you? Has he strengthened you? Yes, this king will bring destruction. Yet it is through that destruction that he calls out and purifies his people. He will stand before you. He will provide a way of escape for you. Come to him. Find peace. Everything else. Everything else will be laid low. It's why we come here each and every week knowing that it is only through Jesus and his word that we find peace. All else, as the song tells us, is sinking sand. All else is falling and fading away. Do you know, do you truly know the peace of God? Then come to the city of peace. Rest and trust in him. If 
you don't know this peace, then come to him. Rest in his love. Dwell in his peace. For he has provided it for you. This is the wonderful, maybe here in Zechariah, somewhat confusing and hard to see, but it's the truth of his gospel. That even as he wages war against us, he is purifying us. He is bringing peace to his people. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come with thankful and glad hearts, knowing that you do allow suffering to come but you are seeking to purify your people, to bring them into the peace of God. Lord, would we let go of this world and would we cling to you and in doing so find peace. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.